Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. This is Band from Ringside. Tonight on the Band from Ringside podcast, we're going to review the NXT 31 TakeOver card. We're going to talk about all things G1, sprinkle in a little Raw and SmackDown, the Wednesday Night Wars, no bill, no problem. This week on the Band from Ringside podcast. I just need to do my pregame beforehand. Ditch that nine to five. It's time to feel live. Hello, Marks. Welcome to a special edition of the Band from Ringside podcast. I'm your special guest host, JCB, Jason Cornelius Bell, a.k.a. Captain Chronic for all my people back all in the good old days. No Bill this week. He was having a little bit of a problem this week. He was pulled me aside and he was telling me that he was sick of being the heel of the band for ringside podcast he needed to take a personal week for himself to cry and dry up his tears so we're going to give him a week to go over recuperate get his shit together stop being mad because everybody loves me i'm the supposed baby face of this group I tend to disagree. I think the baby face is over there in Illinois. Two beer, Zach Pullman. Talk to me. What's going on? Oh, not much, man. I just voted. Uh, so vote nice. early if you can. I, we have that in Illinois. I don't know if you guys have it in Missouri, but it's pretty Did great you physically go to the poll? Yeah, so they have one polling place open at the courthouse. And, like, you just go. There was a very small line. Um, this year, because of the pandemic, they're, they're doing pins that you take to say I voted, so like everybody uses a, a, a pin, um, you know, to be a little bit safer. So okay. That was cool. All right. And uh, w- while I was standing in line, I got to uh, think of an AKA since Bill wasn't here. Uh, it's one I gave him last week, but he doesn't check his text that I send him, so fuck him. Um, <laughs> everybody shitting uh, on that dude this week. I'm just over here in Edwardsville, uh, Zach Pullman, AKA Kenny Ortega. <laughs> It's taco night, guys. That's right, baby. I was about to say, it's Thursday. It ain't got to always be on Tuesday. All right, kids, let's get down to it. I'm not going to waste any time. Let's talk about F&B Eatery on the corner of 3453 Southampton, Southampton and Marquette. Like I tell people all the time, man, and I'm not saying that just to say it. Number one, Mike is a good friend of mine. We go back way back, way, 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 way back, back in the days where I was working at Westport Plaza and Westport Plaza was the shit. Okay, so we go back a long way. So this is kind of personal to me, number one, because I want to see him succeed. Number two, small businesses locally, I love to see them succeed. So I have a dual interest to see Mike succeed. So I need you to go in, slide in, check it out. F&B Eatery, corner of 3453, home of the best smash burger you've never had. Grab you a gift card, grab the smash burgers, take the kids out. That way, you, mom has a few minutes to herself. That way, you can be a champ, and maybe you can get you a little slide in on the act back too. F and B eater, go ahead. And then you can get you can get yourself an extra burger, and she doesn't have to know about it. And then you just bring back everything, and you eat that extra burger on the way home. It's a solid move. It's a power move. That's a that is a two beer Bill Vagy move. I swear to God, if I ever heard one before in my life, dude. I every time I go get food, I always get an extra sandwich and I eat it on the way. I'm like, oh, I'll go pick it up. <laughs> are you sure yeah 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 i got it don't you worry about it <laughs> see ladies and gentlemen take it from a, a person that is married you need to give the wifey a little space 
take the kids with you, pile them all in, slide on in the FB, tell them the band from ringside sent you. And without further ado, let's get to that three counts. One, two, three. I'll start it off this week. We're going to talk about uh, NXT TakeOver 31 on Sunday night. Uh, it's so weird to have TakeOvers on Sunday night. I'm just so used to having it on Saturday night. Um, Dude, I woke up. I thought I felt like shit Sunday morning. I was like, oh, my God, I missed TakeOver. I was like, I was like, I, I, was like, I just forgot all about it. Usually, like, the WWE app sends me, like, a push notification. I'm like, ah, I just must have missed it. Just dicking off. And then uh, I realized that it wasn't on Saturday, so... Yeah, it's, it's just weird because, like I said, I'm just so used to having it on Saturday that when they Sunday morning or whatever, I'm like, oh yeah, this is takeover. So had to get mentally ready for that. I I missed the uh, the live show, but I watched it on replay. Um, I'll let you go first. What was your biggest takeaway from NXT Takeover 31? Uh, I mean, overall, as a takeover, I feel like the the whole thing was pretty mediocre, and that's kind of part of um you know the rushed kind of build that we're getting like as a as a wrestling show it was a very good wrestling show very tight right like less than three hours 230 and, and some change if i'm not mistaken yeah definitely watchable and bookended by two very good matches the middle was okay but the the beginning and the end were very very good uh but whenever we've got a block rolling out like every other day here um doing like much like every show has a better match than any of the matches on this card it was just you know it, at this point it was just kind of a show uh but i'm happy i watched it and i'm happy um it exists and uh like it just wasn't it didn't like come off like you know like how takeovers like you know like every match is supposed to be like bonkers good and it just it just wasn't like i'm not to say it was bad and I'm not going to talk shit on it. Um, there's only a couple, like, little nitpicky things I had about the whole show. Do uh, tell. I mean, the rest of it was, was very solid. Um, I wouldn't have brought back Tony Storm and Ember Moon in the same two minutes. Mm. Like, that was like, I mean, Tony Storm, first of all, should be on the main roster holding a belt. Like, she is so much better than most of the women on the roster. She's great. Like, they, they're... They're not, like, dropping the ball. They just – they aren't even, like, running with the ball. Like, they just – they haven't even seen that she's out there in, you know, like, running down the sidelines, like, to pass the ball to right? Like, she can be, like, <laughs> scoring a touchdown. And, like, they're they're still, like – It's great that you're using the football analogy. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to do some, like, play-action shit, and, like, it's just not working out. Uh, they got Tony Storm, and they've done fuck all with her. Overall, I mean, yeah, she won the Mayon Classic. Cool. That was two years ago, right? Uh, it's been a long two years. That two years seems like five. And Tony Storm ain't getting any younger. She is young, but, like, her whole kind of personality is, like, this young, rebellious, like, kind of punk rock, uh, you know, girl. Like, she's girlish, right? Kind of like Bailey was. And, I mean, not to say she can't evolve or anything, but it's just bonkers to me that like you can't see that like i'm i'm like this armchair quarterback right and like i oh we all like, are shit yeah screaming to the rafters like you know give tony storm you know a contract that said she's probably going to be utilized much better on nxt and nxt uk you know stuff like that so i mean that's the same thing with ember moon ember moon is good enough to be on the main roster she's really good 
but it, she's she's definitely going to be handled better in NXT. Right. Um. So, but yeah, that that's like my only major nitpick. Everything else was like was totally fine. It was a good show. Um, I didn't have a problem with the show. I thought it was unfortunately a, a tad bit predictable. I think that I'll, I'll piggyback on what you said about this being a kind of a rushed show. I think if you kind of let it play itself out and do the normal four takeovers a year coinciding with the big four, I think you'd have probably had a much better show. Um, for me, match of the night, um, I'm going to stick with the main event. Uh, I thought Kyle O'Reilly came off looking strong. I'm not sure if Finn Balor actually has a broken jaw. I'm going to go ahead and, and say that is uh, – it's broken. It's oh okay. Never mind. I I, I, yeah. I thought we were being worked. Okay, I'll no, take that it's back. Broken and broken in two places. Well, goddamn. Okay, well then. See, like I said, I shut the fuck up. Um, like I said, I I didn't have a problem with the show. It just felt like it was a little too predictable. Uh, Kushida, I think, was kind of a surprise. Uh, going over Dream, especially making him tap out. I didn't think I would see that. Um. Swerving Escobar I thought was really good. I just wish, I guess, I don't watch enough 205 Live to really get invested into the feud, but the match itself was good. Uh, EO and Candice, as much as, you know, we needed to see Candice, you know, look good, get herself over. Uh, I'll just go back to once again saying that this was kind of predictable. Not even knowing that Tony Storm or Ember Moon was going to, uh, to show up. I just knew that... EO and Rhea Ripley at some point has, you know, they got to get it on again. So I just, it just kind of felt weird when Candice was there. But I mean, the match itself, once again, was good. It just felt like, you know, all of a sudden, here's this title match against EO Shirai. And, and at that point, I, I don't think anybody was going to win. But then, you know, bring it back, Tony Storm, I thought was, you know, really solid. That got me excited. But then, Ember Moon was like, oh, okay. So now, all of a sudden, when I was, you know, shitting on the uh, DXT's women's division when they were having the Battle Royal, now the women's division actually looks, you know, good. It's got some depth to it. And now I'm excited to see, you know, the potential matches, especially, you know, Tony Storm and Io Shirai running it back from Evolution. But I would agree with you. I, I'm, I wasn't stoked about watching this right away so that's probably the main reason i didn't watch it live but it wasn't like i felt like i gave away two and a half hours it was somewhere in the middle of not good but not bad it was just like it like i said somewhere in the gray definitely yeah definitely not the worst takeover I've ever no seen. I mean, no especially since we've been doing those takeover do-overs yeah for sure i was um, gonna say this would be one if and when we get to it again, God bless G1. I mean, I love it, but it's it's definitely derailed the NXT TakeOver review. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. It wasn't, a, like I said, it just the storylines just felt rushed. And that's, I think, a part of the reason why I like TakeOver because the build to TakeOver is half the reason why I think the matches end up being so great. Yeah, it's not just pure work rate, which it is a work rate promotion, but traditionally, like, you would have these uh, at least, you know, six to eight weeks minimum, usually longer, um, to do programs uh, that would pay off at TakeOver. So, um, you know, it's stuff like, and we'll get to this, like, in the three count, but, you know, like, William Regal comes out on NXT and signs a main event, 
uh, tag match, you know, that was lackluster anyway. But, like, you're telling me that, like, you got a two-hour show on USA Network that goes live and you didn't have a main event already? Like, that's main roster shit, mm. you know? Yeah. So it's just, like, all this, like, hot shot and we'll, we'll do this, we'll do that. Um, you know, it's just kind of symptomatic. And if you listen to the podcast for any length of time, and you know, I don't want to kick a dead horse. It's just um, similar similar stuff to, to what we've seen. But, yeah, uh, it definitely elevated Kyle O'Reilly deservedly. We, we're all Kyle O'Reilly marks, like, on this podcast for sure. And, man, did he give a main event level performance. Mm-hmm. Like, you see me, you see Finn Balor in the main event uh, often in his career. Right. Um, but Kyle O'Reilly, not so much. And he just totally showed that he could bring it. And I loved the – even though, like, they're both kind of heelish – I loved the, at the end, you know, that sign of respect, right? That that handshake before the, the Ridge Holland angle. Right, right. Um, well, I was going to say, no, go ahead and finish. Go ahead and finish. Oh, I was just, just going to say, in, in the beginning, you know, I'm a huge Gargano fan, and uh, Damian Priest uh, has stepped up his game in the coming months. I feel like that title elevated him, and I don't mean it just because they put the belt on him. I feel better about him. I feel like them putting him in that position and say like, Hey, we're going to give you this like title run gave him the confidence to like really be Damian priest. Uh, whereas before, you know, he's playing a character, working it out. He was in the lower mid card, you know, mm-hmm. newer guy keeping him pretty decently protected, but you know, nothing crazy, but um, giving him the secondary title, like he's really living up to it. And I thought they had a really banger match. Uh, I would. Really yeah. Good. I was pleasantly surprised I, I am not a huge fan of the character Damian Priest but I, I do like his talent uh but I just think that's that's just Johnny Takeover being Johnny Takeover I just think that he can just have a good match with pretty much anybody so I think that's you know credit to Johnny to help getting Priest and the match over and like I said I'm not I'm not hating on his talent I just don't like the the rock star character gimmick. I think we've kind of been there, done that on that. Uh, just kind of piggybacking on Kyle O'Reilly. I, I, I agree with you totally. I'm not sure if he's heelish because he was the one, you know, trying to stop um, Fish and Roddy Strong from, uh, I guess that was Drake Maverick a, a couple of weeks ago or whatever. He stopped that attack. But, I mean, we kind of touched on that a little bit. So, I mean, I'm not sure if – the the drafts coming up on Friday. I'm not sure if any or all of them are going to go up. My guess now is no because, well, I don't know because I guess we'll touch on that in the three count. I don't want to spoil it just yet. My guess is no because of I don't current. Know if you, I say sorry. I mean, I don't know if you ever listen to Triple H does media calls like um, before and after like these like takeover events. Right. Um, and somebody in the after asked him, "Are any of your guys like is NXT involved in the draft and like his answer was like was not like no or yes it was more like I don't think so like so like I don't even think which is crazy because like how do you actually book a territory like book a promotion not knowing what guys you might or girls you might not have next week right like you have a weekly television show right. or whatever the main guy, you know, whenever VKM can just be like, oh, I want this one and this one. Right. You know, and then you're just, you're just. Well, I mean, that, that could just happen anyway. I just think the draft is more of a, a legit way to say, hey, you know, 
Adam Cole because that's the name. Adam Cole is finally kind of done everything he can possibly do in NXT, and it's time for him solo or undisputed era as a group to move up so i mean especially now it looked like he was going to be in a program with ridge holland but that ain't right you know, yeah yeah that was just good yeah that's gonna say i think that one is pretty much uh dunsky for the Adam, next Adam few months he needs like three more zeros at the end of his contract that's why i thought he would be the the slam dunk choice of anybody on nxt to to move up i don't think that gargano wants to move up I don't think he should. Uh, Champa's outright said that he would just quit if they called him up. So that that's a no no. Um, yeah, I mean, think think about like it was a year ago, like almost. I mean, like it was eleven months ago when Adam Cole was uh, the star of November. Right. I remember? Yeah. Whenever he did Takeover Survivor Series, and he was on like SmackDown that night because they had like. Some, I think it was him you know, and Daniel Bryan in, a, in the main event or some nonsense, which would, I mean, I shouldn't even say some nonsense. I mean, that, that alone, it should be, you know, a half staff worthy of a match to begin with. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with you totally. And that's why I thought that was kind of the the seeds of uh, Adam, call, uh, Adam Cole call up. And that apparently isn't going to happen, question mark. I don't know if if it wasn't Vince, it would have already happened. And you you like even Vince, like I know he has his, he's like, kind of drawn to like certain characters, you know, the larger than life, and the larger guys. Like you know, it really takes him a lot to get invested in a small guy. Um, but I mean, and Adam Cole is a small guy, but like, how do you look at Adam Cole and not see anything? But like, legitimately, like I mean, he pushed Shawn Michaels. Right, Shawn Michaels is only six one. I know Adam Cole's a lot shorter than that, but like, still like that. This is like Dexter's generation's Shawn Michaels. Right. You know what I mean? That's how that's how good Adam Cole is. I can't disagree with you, but I just there is that there there will be pushback. I don't. You know it. I know it. I mean, I still have people upset about Daniel Bryan winning two matches at WrestleMania. The second being against. Batista and Randy Orton, but another. That's argue- why Bill. I bet that's why Bill's out today. He looked at your Twitter timeline and saw all the fucking idiots on there, and it just put him into a goddamn coma. No, they're not all idiots. Just some. Some have uh, more passionate uh, opinions than others. Anything else you want to touch on? Take over before we move to the two count. Uh, no, I'm good. All right. Hard hitting from your boy Two Beer Zach Paul Big. Let's move to the two counts. <laughs> One, two, all right. So we're gonna go back to uh, last week, uh, October first. Um, whenever we did the podcast, we did not touch on that show. Uh, kind of like this morning, there was a show on the October eighth, uh, but there's just so much wrestling. Like I didn't catch up to it. I know Jason's got it. He can talk about it, but we'll work our way there. Um, First match, Yota Suji versus Gabriel Kidd. Worth mentioning because it's the first draw that we've seen mm. on uh, the G1 card. And even though it's not in the G1 tournament, it is the, the first draw, and it was a damn good match. No, it's it's one of the few things that I like about New Japan. And I shouldn't say one of the few things. It's one of the many reasons I like about New Japan is that they do bring out the draw. What's the point of having a time limit if you're not going to use it at some point? You know what I'm saying? 
and then in this case, it's it's just young lions. It's not a big deal. You give them fifteen minutes, which they need that in ring time anyway. So yeah, let them go ahead and, and duke it out. God forbid, you know, uh, we got another draw between Yumanura and uh, Sushi again. I, was, I just shook my head. I was like, God bless these guys. I want to really know what the all time record is between these two. But better yet, I just want to know how many ties they have at this point because yeah, that to me is real. would be more funny than anything else. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, you know, and these guys went after each other, you know, the bell rings is a draw and they're still in such of the heat of the moment that they're like still going after each other. What's uh, up with that? Just, I was going to say just quick a sidebar. Like we saw Ishii and Shingo do that. We saw uh, the young lines do that. It was, I think it happened again. Uh, that same week where it was like three or four uh, matches in a row, like, you know, guys are after the bell. They're still like crawling after each other. Like, guys, it's over. Just lay there and take the ice and be cool, man, okay? I know you want some more, but you've been pinned. Just lay there and look at the lights. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, but, yeah, totally, like I said before, don't don't sleep on these young lion matches because in three years, Yoda Suji is going to be in the G1 just full of charisma. And uh, you know, with a with a new gimmick and some new moves, and you're gonna love him. And then you're gonna be like, "Oh, that's Yoda Suji that I was watching every week." Because like three years ago, this was Jay White. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. This, yeah. That's a good this point. Was Ju- this was Juice Robinson. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The Naito, Okada. You could you can run down the list. Um, yeah. Tanahashi was a young boy. It's hard to believe. Right. He was at one time. He was a young boy. Yeah. So and, uh, I agree with you, Tully. I I know the. Bill doesn't always watch it. Maybe he's watching them now because they're the card itself, especially the G ones, uh, are shorter in time. They're more like two thirty instead of the three three and a half hours they were maybe a year ago. So maybe it's a yeah, reason they don't, they don't have all those mixed tags. Right, exactly. Good for storytelling, but are easy to skip. Yeah, yeah, without question. But like I said, for me, that's that's how you reel me in because if I skip the one, then I, I feel like I missed something, and then it, it ends up coming back up later on. I'm like, what did I miss? I don't understand. But, all right, go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, we had Juice Robinson going over Toriyanu. This is another <laughs> just, just, just Yano match, you know, total character, uh, Yano. Tries to do the tape thing and wrap Juice's legs on the outside, but Juice like hops to the ring and gets himself undone. Uh, gives him the left hand to God and the um, like into the pulp friction. So he had just lost to Tanahashi. Tanahashi had reversed mm. Juice's pulp friction into a roll up, and then Yano tried to pull that, but Juice was ready for it this time and reversed the roll up. So. I love the callback. I love the callback right there. And, and and first and foremost, fuck Yano, obviously. But I love the callback in the sense that it was all, it was the match afterwards where Tanahashi, and I'll touch on this in a little bit, um, where it seems like he's been kind of, you know, dodging a bullet here, escaping, you know, a, a win, a loss here, escaping a loss there. Juice was one of the big ones where I just remember Juice kind of, you know, walking out of the ring and, you know, it's like, you know, I was this close, you know, I was this close. So just fast forward to this match with Juice versus Yano. Like you said, Yano tried to do the roll up. Juice was one step ahead and got the win. So, I mean, that's what I like. Stuff like that where you, it's the little details, the little things that New Japan brings back that other people don't. 
yeah, you tell the story in the ring. Like, it doesn't matter if there's a language barrier or whatever. You have a, you know, a universal way to tell a story. Agreed. Agreed. I was going to um, say, I don't think I've watched any uh, English commentary up to this point. I, at this point, I don't really even need it, you know. <laughs> as long as I can slash two or one or none at all, that's really what I need is a scoreboard. At that point, I can figure the rest of it out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, then we had Hiroki Goto and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, this was a quick match. Uh, Hiroki mm-hmm. Goto is obviously injured. Uh, he's you think got, so? It's, uh, you think it's the shoulder? shoulder injury? Okay. I think it has to be because he keeps having these very quick matches. Like, we'll get to, you know, a couple nights from now where he rolls up Yano in, like, less than a minute. Right. right. Uh, and I know Yano matches are usually a night off anyway, and they're going to be short and quick. But this was exceptionally quick. So... Uh, but, yeah, Zack Sabre goes after the arm, uh, ends up winning with the uh, European clutch, classic Zack Sabre. Uh, but that makes him 2-2 two and two and go to 1-3 at this point. Uh, then we had Tanahashi versus Yoshihashi, which exceeded my expectations. Agreed. Uh, Yoshihashi definitely, um, you know, gave it his all. Really, you know, he's had a couple good matches. Like, he hasn't – he's only – he hasn't won many. He's won one. Uh He's one and three at this point, but uh, he's had some really good matches, and Tanahashi went over with the high five flow. So you liked it too? No, I did. I, I, I said it on uh, on Twitter when I was watching it uh, at BFR JCB, at BFR Zach, all go case letters with an H, at BFR Gucci Chris, and I guess we can give the other one out, that BFR Bill, instead of that way he <laughs> doesn't cry about me being the, the bad baby face. Um, no, I said it on Twitter that it, Yoshihashi is kind of like Taguchi in that sense, where in a big match situation, you get his best A game. It, it doesn't get much bigger than the G1 versus the ace of uh, New Japan. So it, it, he pulls another one out of his ass. I, you know, hard luck loser. But I think that even with the uh, the ongoing father time, is father time catching up with Tanahashi angle, I still thought this was a really good match. And for like five seconds, I thought that Yoshihashi was going to pull it out. But once again, Tanahashi comes out on top. And like I said, I thought this was a better match than it had any right to be, like Bill would say. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was like the best match on the entire card. (laughs) Quiet as it's kept, I would have to agree with you. And and that's kind of a surprise. But like I said, that's that's Yoshihashi racing his game. For sure. Uh, we had Kenta and Evil. This is, uh, you know, two Bullet Club guys. So you got, you know, double the pleasure, <laughs> double the fun, double, double the fuckery. Double the fuckery. Right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Evil goes over. Honestly, um, I would like to say more about this, uh, but I really kind of just, like, I didn't watch this, like, super close. No, I, I, um, there wasn't really much to watch because, I mean, the, the tone was basically set from the start where – Kenta wanted to too sweet, and you know, Evil was like, "Yeah, we'll too sweet, but I'm too sweet with Dick Togo. We're going, you know, down low like we used to, too sweet type deal." So I mean, that was basically it. And then from there, it it basically was the fuckery was on because anytime you have Evil there, Dick Togo's going to get involved. It was just who's out, whose fuckery was going to out fuckery the other one's fuckery. Yeah, and it was Evil, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, at that point. Kudos to Benedict Arnold, you know, I'm, I'm still not, I can't root for this man, but I mean, I thought the match itself was enjoyable in the sense that it's, to me, 
there's people that say you can't do heel versus heel. And I've always said that you could as long as you kept it heel versus heel. Don't have one of the heels all of a sudden grow a conscious midway through the match, not unless you're going to do the eventual face turn. Outside of that, yeah. you know, this is yeah. what I expected, and they, they gave it to me. So at that point, you know, there's not much more I can ask for. I like the heel versus heel dynamic occasionally. And, uh, yeah, for that reason, you they just both need to be, you know, dirty players, right? Right. And that can be the story, is, you know. I, don't, I, I also like babyface like baby versus babyface. Right. Like pure babyface, just in an athletic competition, right? Uh, or sometimes, as we've seen, like Cody do, like uh, as as kind of a a more common example, a lot of people may see that listen to this podcast. Uh, Cody did it during his TNT challenges. Uh, he would play the subtle heel, but mm-hmm. he was still Cody is still an ultimate babyface, but he would play the subtle heel, you know, champion and uh, you know, Ric Flair during his, you know, NWA, like, you know, runs, like, you know, sometimes, like, he's obviously a natural heel, but Ric Flair wrestled his baby face also. Quite a no, bit. it's it was weird to watch, but, I mean, he's done that too, so there there is something to be said about that without question. Uh, but well, even with baby face versus baby face, like you said, as long as they kind of stay within character is all I really ask. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even with Cody, we've seen Cody go down the heel role before. So, I mean, him kind of sprinkling that into a match here and there, you know, kicking when you somebody's in the corner or, you know, doing little subtle things like that. That's not the, the end of the world to me. He's not a pure baby face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, it's easy when you're when you're the boss, right? Right. He, you know, he can he can go that angle too. Like, yeah, I was gonna you know. say we we'll definitely be talking about that in the three count. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, we had Naito versus Sonata, uh, which was a very good match. This match reminded me of last year. I think it was last year's G One. If not, it was two years ago. But I think it was last year. Uh, it was almost the same match as Sonata versus Okada where they went to, like, 29 minutes and 30 seconds, mm-hmm. and you, you thought they were going to go to a draw, and Sonata won with the moonsault. And he fi- finally getting, like, his win over Okada, which set up a later championship match. So this kind of, and that that worked really well, and I think Pedro saw that that worked really well, and he waited a while to do it again, but not so long that I don't remember it. Uh, but this also works because they're in the same faction. Right. And this is Sonata's first win. It's Naito's first loss. loss. So, like, you know, I was actually kind of upset with, with the handling of Sonata and the G1 so far because, you know, whenever you split up a tag team like Evil and Sonata, like a very successful tag team, right? ideally it would be to elevate both guys, right? right? You, you don't just take a guy and be like, all right, well, Evil's going to be double champion and Sonata's not going to do shit. Like... You know that might be what WWE would do, but that's not what is. I'm used to seeing like, from New Japan. Essentially, that's exactly. what that's what I was coming away with. But go ahead. And so I was like, well, where's the elevation for Sonata? And I was like, there's. I was like, I want to have faith that I have this longer term story. But then he got to three losses. I'm like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was like, man, this is this is starting to look bad. <laughs> yeah. I had this match, and not only did he get his first win, but it was over the champion. And it was over the leader of his faction. Right. So now we have a built-in, like, Sonata story here. Regardless of the outcome of the rest of the tournament, we've got 
something for Sonata. I was going to say just quick sidebar and then we can move to the next night. Um, Naito has been on record saying that he wants to defend both titles on a single card. Just throwing it out there because Wrestle Kingdom is quietly creeping around the corner. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but could you see a scenario where Sonata's going to get a title shot? We, I mean, it's it's basically guaranteed at this point. It's just, you know, the when and the where. Could Sonata be one to take the title of the – my guess would be the IC title would probably be Sonata's ceiling at this point. Could he take the IC title off of Naito and Naito keep the – the heavyweight title on the same card? I can see that. Or I, I can see him losing both of them also. But, I mean, I could definitely... Sonata, I think, would do well as a IC champion. Um, I don't think he has the charisma for a world champion. Um, I mean, Evil didn't have the charisma mm-hmm. for a world champion. No. And he was the more charismatic of the two. Which is kind of um, saying something. Yeah, for real. Um, so, but I think he would be a good IC champion because similar to um, WWE, IC is typically like the the work rate right. title. Right. And Sonata's got that in spades. So. No, I, I, I can't say I disagree with you, and I wouldn't be surprised if Naito, wherever it is, and like I said, in my example, if it's Wrestle Kingdom, if he has to wrestle two matches, two title matches on the same night, I would be stunned if he retained either or, if not, you know, lost them both. Because that's just because yeah, it gives him an easy out, right? right. Like, hey, well, he lost, but he had to wrestle two, two matches. Yeah, you protect him on the way out, and I could totally see that, and I wouldn't have a problem with that. It's actually logical. It makes you know human sense for you know god forsaken reason you know i know this is fake and everything but sometimes i like a little logic okay go ahead you can move on all right so next night uh well not next night but monday october 5th my baby boy's birthday uh was uh started out with you yuri murrow and gabriel kid uh yuri murrow goes over with the boston crab nothing crazy no i I was gonna say this this was more like a lion tamer because he put the knee in his back (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they've been they've been doing that. Like uh, they like you and Murray's really been pulling up on that thing and pulling back. Uh, I'm like, you okay, know. you can tap now, sir. I'm tapping yeah. for you. Stop jerking this man's back like this. Yep, Yoda Suji's been doing the really sit down. He's a bigger mm-hmm. guy. He's been doing the really sit down and sit back and crank. And you and Murrah's been doing like the lion tamer like variation more often. Just quick night. A uh, quick side note on. Uh, Suji, he did a running swan time, I think, coming off the ropes in one of these uh, curtain jerker matches. I can't remember who it was against. I was like, whoa, I don't think I've seen that. Now I've seen it. I don't remember it. I'm like, okay, now see, if he starts doing shit like this, you might be able to just get me on board because, I mean, I, I get the physical part of it, but see, it's, there's something that's missing, you know, his backstage comments are okay, but now if you, if you sprinkle some, you know, athleticism in like this, okay, now we you got my attention. Okay, this is the shit that I need to see more. Yeah, because uh, with the young lions, you'll see like high drop kicks, but that's about the most athletic stuff because uh, they're just not allowed to do 
like off the ropes kind of stuff. Um, they're, it's just not allowed. Um, they're like out there working fundamentals and then they go do their excursions where they're able to practice uh, and get their personality and develop their repertoire and their, their larger move set. Um, and then they come back, you know, kind of like a complete package. Okay. So uh, you, are you trying to make me back. feel sorry for this dude now? Cause now I'm, I feel like I'm picking on this motherfucker. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> like, uh, and well, and because of them not being allowed to do a lot of stuff when they do it, it's that much more impactful. Right. right? Like, so that's a, that's a good lesson for, you know, any uh, aspiring wrestler. I think, you know, less is more because um, then whenever you pull it out like you know if you're like i think we see it like with jack evans you know this this week you know you come out of the gate right flying and um jacked know. up his uh d or whatever and i'm just like ah dude you're killing me smalls what's going on yeah uh then we had uh shingo takagi versus yujiro takahashi um probably the best yujiro match mm-hmm. But um, Shingo picks up a win, so now he's at two and three. Uh, Yujiro's still winless, as he should be. Uh, Jeff Cobb versus Jay White. This was, uh, I think, surprising to a lot of folks. Um, Went about 12 minutes, and Cobb wins with a tour of the island. So this was a a pretty fun match. You know, Jay White doing his heel shit, and Cobb, you know, Trying to, you know, being kind of the slower, stronger guy, trying to get his hands on whatever he did, it it really worked out. But um, I don't think a lot of people expected to win here. Did you? Uh, I I kind of said that it wouldn't surprise me if this would happen because Jay White at this point is pretty much Teflon. He can drop points to Jeff Cobb and it won't be an issue but at some point you have to kind of give people a reason to like Jeff Cobb give a reason to invest in Jeff Cobb a win over one of the more hated heels in the company is a good start whether you like Jay White or not he is a top star in the company so a win over Jay White is a big deal that's the reason why I think that it was important for it to happen. And I wasn't mad that he took points away from Jay White. It's, you know, it's making my pick a little, look a little uh, leaky at this point, kind of like the Titanic starting to take some water. <laughs> I didn't necessarily have a problem with it, man. The, the match was a little short, but, I mean, I get it. You know, it was, it was in the middle. It's right before the break. So you make your point and everybody can move on. No problem with uh, Cobb winning. Like I said, at some point you got to elevate him. Sure. Uh, then we had Okada Suzuki, which uh, is always awesome. Mm. Um, like, I would say, like, I could say, like, oh, this was not the best Okada Suzuki match, but, like, that's because they've just had these crazy awesome matches. Right. This was still, like, a really good match. Um, I think my favorite one is the one that they did in Suzuki's hometown out in the rain. It was, like, I in still an haven't seen rain. that. I still haven't seen that. That thing was awesome. That looks like a matrix good either without the monsoon, right? Right. I think that added to it. Yeah, I was Um, about to say, see, now I'm going to have to go dig that joker up. Uh, (laughs) Do you think Okada is hurt? We talked about Goto and his shoulder. Okada feels like, and I said it on Twitter again, he feels like something is missing, whether it's the fan 
not interaction, but the fans kind of making noise, getting into the match, making it a more exciting match, or like you and Bill saying that this new submission is kind of making his matches less tolerable to watch. What is wrong with Okada? I think uh, somebody drove by my house yelling at me. <laughs> What'd you do? The uh, uh, this is the neighbor. Oh, okay. Uh, but um, I think it's it's a combination of everything, and I think it's fine because uh, Okada doesn't have to be the best in the world right now. Uh, but I think kind of like Cody uh, was was it Cody that was quoting Al Snow and saying like you know work work hurt, but don't work injured. Right. right? Uh, I think Okada's hurting. I don't think he's injured, um, but I think he's hurting. And there are so many guys that can be the best in the world that Okada can take a little break and not have to be. But I do think he is hurting, and I think it, I think the lack of fan interaction is hurting him just because of the the style of his matches, like the style and psychology of his matches. Right. Um. But yeah, like um. You know, he's still really good. But. Oh, no. There, there's no question about it. I just, and especially in this match in particular, it felt like the finish was the, uh, who was that? Becky Lynch, Shayna Baszler finish, where it happened and I looked up, the match is over. And I'm like, really? That This is how it's going to end? You know, I'm, I'm, we're not even going to try the Rainmaker. You know, the submission has kind of been hit or miss. You know, against Suzuki, it's probably not the the way to go about it because Suzuki is just a, a wrestling fucking machine. But it just felt like it yeah. was it was just a weird way to end the match. It was non Okada like, I guess is the best way I can put it. It's kind of like you just got to finish him if you can finish him. This finish was like a not a cradle, but like the. Uh, not a roll up, but like where you sit down. Bret Hart, I think like Bret yeah, Hart. That's like yeah, the Bret Hart British Bulldog, Bulldog finish. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That's like what I always think. But you know, he's done. Uh, you know, like he's finished uh, Omega with that one. Like I think it's in his uh, in his repertoire. But uh, but yeah, it was kind of surprising, um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, like. It was an Okada Suzuki match, and I'm glad it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say ultimately, I'm not bitching about the shit. I mean, by no means. If a bad, yeah, but then they're both they're both three and two now. So a bad Okada Suzuki match is still a good fucking match. Absolutely. Um, and then we got Ishii and Taichi, and um, you know, <laughs> this was. Super solid, man. Like, I'm telling you, man. Y- y'all sleeping on Tai Chi, man. We want to put some respect on that man's name. Yeah, for real. Uh, Ishii went over, but that puts him at two and three, and Tai Chi at three and two. So, like, considering he is consistently having the best matches of the entire tournament, I'd say it's one and one A with him and Shingo, um, and the two of them together. Eh, I don't know. Shingo and Osprey was pretty fantastic. Yeah, too. I was going to say, don't sleep. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, like considering he's consistently having the best matches of the tournament, like he didn't win. Um, so totally makes sense. And Taichi's got a couple good ones, you know. Yeah, uh, Taichi beat Suzuki. Yeah, you know, I was so. I, I was getting ready to say that to me is still the one I'm kind of 
waiting to see how that Joker unfolds because it was it was long enough to go that you might have forgotten, but at some point you know that that match that victory is going to come back in some form or fashion. Yep, absolutely. And then uh, Bushi and Will Ospreay, mm. and you know we've seen this in the Tokyo Dome. This was not the Tokyo Dome, but it almost was. I mean, this thing. <laughs> this was really gone. fucking good. <laughs> I say you could put this you know, on the, the list of great matches for this year's G One. For real, they did callbacks to the Tokyo Dome. Whenever mm-hmm. Abushi um, did the top rope Frankensteiner and Osprey flipped like, out of it, I'm just like, you motherfuckers. He landed on his feet and then he kind of over overshot. So he then did a handstand and turned around. Like, like just, God just damn, bonkers. man. Yeah, that's what I say. And, and I know people are like, oh, you know, it's it's flips and all this. Other. I'm sorry. I don't care. That to me still is wrestling because it's the story that's been told once before. And now this certain part of the first story is now being told again in the second part but now the roles are reversed it's still great and like you said the hand the one-handed uh stand by will Ospreay was just like the cherry on top of like this shit here boy let these jokers go 30 minutes we can't do 20 here come on i know and they got uh they had a short shrift on the tokyo dome show because that was the year the tokyo dome was like in four hours right and they were just like you know everybody was like doing 10 minute matches but, uh, but yeah, like, super solid. Go out of your way to watch this one. Abushi goes over with the Kamigoye, and so they were both at 3-1 and one coming into this. Uh, so Kota goes to 4-1, and one, and Osprey's now 3-2. and two. So they're both still strong. I really haven't done too much forward-looking um, and, like, fantasy booking yet um, because – it always gets fucked immediately. Like, so, like, whatever you're thinking. I know what I'm thinking, but go ahead. It takes a little while for the stories to, like, come up. And so I usually kind of wait a little while before I start, like, really, you know, trying to draw paths and figure stuff out. No, I haven't Uh, haven't looked forward either, but I, I just know that at least for personal bias reasons, Naito has not faced Yano yet. So I expect some. Okay, I'm, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to put that out there. Um, 30, 30 minute draw. <laughs> <laughs> and then Naito faces uh, Kenta in the final night. That's the one I'm circled with because I figured it's it's the final night. It's Naito. It's Kenta. It, it's not like I don't feel like we kind of got robbed of that feud but it's it's on the last night for a reason so there's going to have there's going to be implications now block implications you know is this this joker already going to be sold up which i don't see happening but there's going to be something with the b the b block on the line with that match so yeah that's the one i'm kind of circling and and kind of predicting around that match yeah that makes sense and so uh we've got the next night, Tuesday, October 6th, uh, Suji and Yui Mura go to a draw. And like Jason said, uh, these guys have gone to many, many draws uh, in 2019 and 2020. So, always fun. Uh, for opening match was very refreshing. Uh, 18 seconds. And Hiroki <laughs> Goto, like, gives him, like, this roll-up where he, like, 
he knocks him down, uh, kind of does his legs almost like a sharpshooter, but mm-hmm. then like turns it into a roll up. That was pretty cool. No, I, I, I'm, I know I've seen Goto do this before, but I think the only reason why this worked and it it wasn't, you know, the chaos on Twitter like it normally would be, should be, is the fact, like you said, this was Yano was the one that was eating this pen in such a weirdly insane way that the length of the time of the match really didn't matter at this point because, you know, this is just Yano and this is just sometimes what happens. You know, sometimes you get 18 minutes. 18 second matches other times you get 18 minute matches so neither here nor there it was sorry not sorry it's good to see um chaos being squelched in the b block and now we're getting some uh some shit that's going to be going right into never mind i ain't gonna say it i ain't gonna say it 30 (laughs) minutes draw 30 minutes draw (laughs) yeah fingers crossed yeah right Um, and we got uh, Sonata going over Zack Sabre Jr., so they are now tied at two and three. Uh, Sonata is one of the few guys uh, who can keep up with uh, Zack Sabre on a in a technical standpoint because uh, Sonata does good, like a little bit of flying, but he's very fast and he's very technically sound mm-hmm. as like a chain wrestler. And I think he really shines in these matches. And I always like Sonata Zack Sabre matches. So I really like this one. Without question, guilty as charged as well. I thought this was a really good match. Yeah, Sonata gets the win. Uh, We had Juice Robinson and Evil. Uh, This is another one. I'm just like, I really kind of tune out on these Bullet Club matches, man. Like, I was, I watched this today and I had my, um, I had my TV on, and then my daughter had a Zoom today, and that's whenever this was on. So, like, I had the volume all the way down, and it was just really a lot easier to look at my phone than it was to look at the low blows and stuff. So, <laughs> no, but that's that's what that's a bullet club match. I mean, if it, I'm not going to knock Evil for doing the same things that Jay White is doing on the A block, it's basically the same thing. It's just who is doing it. On the outside is different. At the end of the day, it's still Bullet Club. It's what they do. For whatever reason, it it doesn't resonate well with me with when Evil does it. It's not the fact that he's Benedict Arnold. I just I just don't feel. I, I said I need a clean win from him just to you know like okay motherfuckers you know I ain't just always gonna cheat there are there is a time or two where I can beat somebody that's a you know a top name star queen so that way you know I look and feel more legit like I said some like cre- some like credibility you know? yeah and ultimately that's what I think this is it's boiling down to because a lot of people myself included was was a little stunned that he got the win over Naito and got the double title. If it was just for like the intercontinental title, I don't think this would have been that big of a deal. If it was just for the world title, it was still kind of been a big deal, but I don't think, you know, it had garnered this much attention. Maybe it would have. I don't know. Him winning the, the double title is a huge fucking deal because they've built it up to be as such. So when it happened, yeah, obviously I'm fucking stunned, but then it just, it just didn't work well with him as the double champion but it's always been the same formula bullet club interferes so i'm not going to sit up here and knock evil for what jy does on the same end sure 
Uh, we had Naito go over Yoshihashi, and uh, Naito, like, he's every match is, like, 20-plus minutes, you know? Like, he's in that kind of realm where Okada was last year, mm-hmm. and I guess, I guess maybe it's Ghetto's, like, idea that if you are going to do uh, a match with your champion, it's got to be, you know, 25, 30 minutes. No, I was going to say that I can't remember the last... <laughs> I mean, short match that Naito's had recently. I mean, just in 2020, it's a, they've all been knockdown, drag out bangers. I mean, we started the year at Wrestle Kingdom. You know, he won the title, lost the title, got it back. You know, and now we're here. Honestly, unless it's a, a multi-man match, which we really haven't seen that much since uh, the pandemic usually Nido's going to be there for, like you said, 15, 20, 25 minutes. Okada was the same way. So maybe it's just a scenario where Gato likes to ride uh, his champions. And in this scenario, you know, Nido's the champion. Hell, he's the double champion. So, yeah, he's going to be out there for a little bit until you figure out a way to uh, to separate the titles. This is is what it is. So maybe not always be a bad thing. Doing work. Yes. Um, but uh, then uh, in the main event, Tanahashi goes over Kenta with uh, his Texas Cloverhold. Um, this is a really solid match. I mean, you know, Ken- Kenta's going to have a little bit of, you know, fuckery here and there because Bullet Club. But uh, definitely kind of gave a nod to, I know Juice was going after that red briefcase. And it seemed like <laughs> Tanahashi wanted a piece of it too. And, I mean, honestly, like, We'll talk about this in the next count. Like, there was about six to ten mentions of New Japan on AEW TV this week. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but the Tanahashi versus Moxley sounds just as good, if not better, than Kenta versus Moxley, which also sounds awesome. Uh, so, you know, like, I like, I like having stuff for guys to fight over. And, you know, New Japan has enough titles, but, you know, sometimes some of those titles get lost in the shuffle when you have so many, but having like a tangible thing, like a, like a title shot, like a, a major title shot to fight over is pretty cool. So no, I uh, agree with that. Cool. Totally. Um, yeah, I'll just save that for the, uh, the AEW part because I'm, I just saw Tanahashi. I was just like, ah, they're playing with my emotions. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to me. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, and then uh, next night, if you want to go through them, I can. I'll, I can oh, okay. It's, it's, it's on me. Um, this was uh, this morning, I guess, whatever day you want to call it. Um, no, actually, I it was the 7th because I was working my way through this, but uh, I did not finish, and I wasn't able to give it like too much attention because uh, I had to watch TakeOver. I had to watch. So we're doing the A Block? Wednesday Wars. Yeah, so I'm I'm still I still need to watch Oh, okay. So you you're two behind. Okay, hang on, give me a second. Yeah, so I got Yoda Yoda Suji going over Gabriel Kidd. Um just you know, okay, a little heads up. And then uh Ishii goes over Takahashi. How was that? Uh let me think, let me think. Uh, it, it was fine. I mean that it's more now getting to the point where is Takahashi just going to go winless at this point? Because that's really what I'm almost worried about. Not even worried about, but just kind of 
trying to figure out is this going to actually be a thing and i would really hate the fact that he would be winless going through an entire g1 and not pick up a single point he was one of those guys that you know got us from point a to point b during this pandemic era i would like to think and i don't know who it's going to be against but i would like to think that it's somewhere at some point he gets a victory now who it is i couldn't even tell you who it is i no fucking clue but i would like i said i would like to think that at some point he would pick up a win but the match was fine it's nothing that you need to go out and break your neck over well, with him being a Bullet Club, it'd be pretty bonkers if he got it over Jay White. <laughs> Ooh, dude, don't put, don't put that out there, man. See, that's my pick, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> 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 I'll say that Joker better be wrapped up by the time that happens, because otherwise, that that could fuck up the whole Jay White uh, tournament right there to lose to Takahashi. What we need to find out when that is. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's right. Uh, next, we had Okada going over Jeff Cobb. That sounds like a fun match. Um, this is where I was kind of wondering, is Jeff Cobb really going to get this push? I figured it was going to be Okada, and that's who I picked. This is where, once again, it just feels like Okada is just missing something. There is something that's off. What I did find interesting, though, is how Jeff Cobb was just literally – at one point, he had Okada in the corner, and he kind of, like, pulled his arm and, like, jerked him off. Not deadlift him, but, I mean, kind of, like, pulled him up from the corner and caught him like a little baby. I'm like, oh, good Lord, what the hell is this? So, at that point, I'm just like, okay, see, Jeff Cobb's on a whole nother level. I agree with the, the Michael Elgin comparison that you made last week. It was the same pinning um I don't even know what you want to call it, but they pinned the same way Okada pinned Suzuki, Okada pinned Cobb in the Bret Hart kind of fashion. So that's why I was really kind of like, okay, what's wrong with Okada? Because he's not now he's not using the submission or he's, and he's not using the Rainmaker. So, I mean, I know this isn't going to be the way it should be or the way it's going to be. At some point, we're going to get back on track, and he's not just going to keep using this Bret Hart finish kind of of pin. But it was just, like I said, something was just off with Okada. Granted, he's winning matches and he's picking up points. It's just weird. Tanahashi, you can is a storyline, and I see that storyline, and it makes sense. This is just weird because it's just off. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of in purgatory right now. Right. Like, even though even though he's winning, and I think it's because, like I said last week, like that dude had the greatest title reign of any person I've ever seen in my life. Right. Like, and I like came up growing up with like you know Hulk Hogan, you know WWF. Right. Yeah. Like, this was this was that his was way better than like Hogan's. Like I think the only thing you can could compare it to. And I don't have the personal experience, but it's like what I would imagine, like Bruno San Martino, like right. having, you know, like that kind of level. Um, that's like what Okada, you know, legend status, you know. No, I agree with that, Tony. Uh, because I mean, anybody that talks about Bruno San Martino that's seen his matches talks about him in such reverence that it's just like, okay, see, now you got, I got to dig up, go into uh, WWE archives and dig this shit up to see for this shit for myself. Yeah. 
then we had Will Ospreay going over Minoru Suzuki. Looks like he gave him a Stormbreaker 14 and a half minutes in. So yeah, the, um, I was a little surprised, to be perfectly honest. I thought this was going to be Suzuki's to, uh, to win, to kind of bring uh, – Osprey back to the pack a little bit, get Suzuki back on the, the winning track. I don't know if this is going to mean, I would assume that you, you could do title versus title here if you wanted to. I don't think it's going to go that far, but it was good to see this match because this kind of starts to cement the fact that Will Osprey is a heavyweight with I guess, for lack of a better term, cruiserweight slash junior heavyweight skill set. But, yeah, that to me was the most important takeaway from that is the fact that Will Ospreay is a legit heavyweight at this point, and he beat the king to prove it. Yeah, and, you know, with the with them losing Kenny Omega, and I know Jay White is comparatively, like, their top guy, Gene, but, like, he's a heel. Right. Uh so for like their top babyface guys, you I mean like it's Will Osprey, like he's the guy that has an apartment in Tokyo, he's learning the language, right? Um, so it's kind of like one of those like you see that meme where you're like, hey mom, can we get McDonald's? <laughs> like we got McDonald's at home, and then like McDonald's at home, but like hey mom, can we have Kenny Omega? And like oh we got Kenny Omega, and then like Kenny Omega at home is like a picture of Will Osprey. <laughs> 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 it's like. Uh, so like he's he's in that I feel like he's getting that they're building him to have that Omega role um, eventually and soon because you know he's got to they don't they don't overnight stuff right they gotta no they gotta I was gonna say time. no I was gonna say I agree with that totally just in the sense that you have the the baby face in Osprey you have the heel with Jay White so I mean at one at one time or the other. One should be close to, if not on top, and vice versa. I thought their match was—I thought their match was really fucking good, and I'm sure we're going to see that somewhere down the line. But yeah, I totally agree with the, which we all. Yeah, let's try this again. I totally agree with you on Will Ospreay. I think the Kenny Omega reference actually makes fucking sense. I wouldn't be surprised if and when the world gets back to normal, quote unquote. I can see Will Ospreay winning like the U.S. title and coming over here and and doing a show or two over in the states just to kind of get more eyes on the product and then you know obviously taking it back over to Japan and defending it there. But yeah, I I could totally see Kenny Omega at least babyface Kenny Omega. Jay White is Jay White. You, you just as long as you don't fuck with this character, you should be okay. Oh yeah, for sure. And he, like, he's such a good heel, and he will be such a heel for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. that almost automatically gives him a babyface potential in the future, but it's just a long ways away. Yeah, like, that's going to say it would have to be like three, four years down the line, a, a world title run of some sort, and then, you know, evil decides, fuck it, I'm just going to go ahead and take over all Bull Club, and, you know, we're all going to stab Jay White like Caesar and some shit like that. Then at that point, yeah, that's where you would see. Jay White be a baby face. Outside of that, like I said, there is no reason in the world to fuck with it. He is perfect, perfect heel. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, we had uh, Jay White speak of the devil, right. and he shall appear and go over Tai Chi with a Blade Runner. Um, th- Once again, Tai Chi stepping up to the plate and giving Jay White all that he wanted. Um, 
another great example of why heel versus heel will work if as long as you just stick to the script and let these guys just be the heel um gato gets involved obviously but then Tai Chi gives the uh, the ref bump to Gato and then gives a low blow to Jay White. And I was thinking, okay, you know, here's my pick really getting ready to start suffering here in a little bit. But like you said, classic Jay White reversal from, I believe it was Black Mephisto, into the uh, the Blade Runner for the one, two, three. Jay White picks up the points. Good match. Like I said, these are the matches. If you think heel versus heel can't work, check this match out. It can work. Right on, and then we have the match that I am definitely looking forward to the most of what I need to catch up on, and that is Shingo Takagi versus Kota Ibushi. That just sounds amazing. Match of the night, at least for this A Block night. Um, I won't. I won't say that who won this. I'll just say because I know you know, but um, I'll just say this. Shingo Takagi is a bad motherfucker, <laughs> okay? And watching this match just reaffirms how really great he is. And at some point, I'm not saying he's going to be a world title, but the Never never title is, is a stepping stone to, I would assume, bigger and better things. I wouldn't be upset if he, God forbid, if he and Naito d- decided to wrestle for the IC title and Naito lost it. Um Shingo and Kota Ibushi was the match of the night for sure, and you could put that on the list of best matches of the G1 so far. I thought it was absolutely fucking amazing. We need to run that back. Somehow, if we, I mean, put a title on the line, don't put the title on the line. I don't give a shit. It was really fucking good. Oh, yeah, right on. Well, yeah, that does it for the two count. Uh, there's still more G1 to come. Yeah, like, we, won't, uh, we won't touch on to the, uh, this morning's G1. Um, not everybody's seen it. Um, I would assume Bill is boohooing somewhere, but at some point his tears will dry up, and then he will catch up. So we will start with this. Uh, what I is it? I tell you what, the, uh, the three, like the, the G1 is, like if you guys want like an analogy, for what it's like if you if you've never seen it and you've heard us talking about it you still haven't watched it which is bonkers but i mean maybe i don't know maybe you got an iq below 80 I don't stop know. It. i'm not judging but uh maybe you still don't have the time because you work too hard yeah see yeah people are you know trying to save jobs or save money positive, there you go spin on it. mortgages but, uh, but like basically the g1 is like whenever like you nut and she still keeps sucking. That's the G one. Three count. One, two, three. We'll pick up on the G one uh, starting next week. Uh, today is, I believe, the eighth. Yes, it is the eighth. So we'll start with the eighth uh, G one next week when. Bill returns to the fray. Now, moving on to our three count. <laughs> you are so stupid. The Wednesday Night Wars. I'll start it off this week with the Wednesday Night Wars on, with NXT on my side of fence. We opened up with Kushida versus Ciampa. Now, this is where I hate this current version of NXT. I would love this match, but there's no build-up to it. Apparently, there was a... Beef backstage, and that results in 
William Regal making this match. Now, if you'd have made this match under normal circumstances where it would, you know, maybe there was a build, you know, God forbid, on TakeOver, Kushida and Ciampa actually do have this backstage beef and we actually see it, now we can get invested into it. You just throwing this match out there is just to throw a match out there. It's the kind of programming that we've been kind of saying that NXT does but claim they don't do. Long story short, great match. I thought it was really fucking good. It made Kushida look like a, a much more of an aggressive wrestler than we've used to seeing him. However, Velveteen Dream comes in and interferes with the match, tries to hit Kushida with his cast. I believe that is a work as well. Dream isn't really hurt. This is for kayfabe purposes only. But nonetheless, Dream hits Gargano on the Gargano. Dream hits Chompa with the cast, causes the DQ. Kushida gets away scot-free. And now I'm dreading, in this case, this might be a Bill Veggie special triple threat Dream Chompa. Kushida thoughts on a possible triple threat match or and thoughts on the uh the Kushida Champa match yeah it was definitely super solid great way to start the show except for like that weird finish like I am have seen so many like fucky finishes from main roster like I don't need it like especially when I'm really into a match and I was really into this match because how could you not be if you like professional wrestling. No, I was, and the question was was the, was Champa going to tap out because I mean he was pretty much in a spot where the ropes were not anywhere close. He's in the center and Kushida's got this hoverboard lock on pretty tight. Yeah, for sure. And Kushida had such a strong showing, you know, on Sunday. Right. And and for multiple weeks before that. Right. right. They're really they're they're doing a good job with Kushida, which is. Uh, surprising, uh, honestly. Um, I'm thankful for it, but uh, I feel like he had like a small injury and he came back like better than ever. Because um, I mean, he's a world class light heavyweight dude, um, world class wrestler. But anyway, um, yeah, like super solid. And you know, I'm not going to complain too much. It was a TV match. You know, it's not like you know we're on a pay per view situation and this is it give us some kind of finish. But it's just like uh common more you know main roster like kind of stuff no i agree uh, i agree the the three-way like that sounds cool um i i'm not like too there was a time you could probably go back in the archives of our band from bfr pod and you would hear me saying like velveteen dream is the future of the company he's got no ceiling this guy rules, and it's not just because of those allegations, but, like, he has lost a lot, man. And I am just not, like, maybe it's the fans, maybe without fan interaction, like, real fan interaction. Agreed. I, I, I think that has it. something to do with it. No question about it. But, yeah, I'm just not interested in it, you know. Like, even on TakeOver when he came out in that Doc Brown outfit to, you know, to kind of rib Kishida because he does the – the Marty McFly gimmick. Right. Um, that would have popped me, you know, last year, and especially as a big Back to the Future fan myself, and, and I just didn't do it for me. Maybe it's because Kushida made him cry. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was crying like a little bitch. Um, 
I no, I agree with you. Um, that's why I was kind of said when the G one started or whatever. And I know we talk about G one all the time lately, but why not? Um, when Will Ospreay came out for the first time since the allegations came out, I was wondering how the fans were going to treat him and uh, and receive him. And obviously, it was a positive reaction, and it's been that way since. I kind of looked at him differently up until this point, and then now it's it's kind of back to where it's about wrestling. I haven't forgotten what has happened, but I'm not nearly as mad as I was when I initially found out about this. For Velveteen Dream, it's, it that feeling hasn't gone away. I don't know why that is. It's just, for me, it's different. When I see him, when I see him wrestle, it's not the same anymore. I don't have that same excitement. I don't, I don't wish ill will on the man. I don't want death upon him. I don't, don't want anybody to die. But I, I don't have excitement for his matches. I don't want to really see him win matches at this point. I just don't. I'm not feeling Velveteen Dream. Yeah, it just. Um, yeah, you said it exactly. I'm just not feeling it right now. Okay, that's what I'm saying because. I hate the fact that it's like that, but I would be less than honest to myself if I didn't say, yeah, I've lost a little love for Velveteen Dream once these the greatest allegations came out. I mean, the first time is I'm willing to let some shit slide. The second time, now I got to look at you sideways, but neither here nor there. Uh, Amber Moon comes out to talk to, what is the name of this place again? Is it the Capitol Wrestling Center? Did I say that right? Capital Wrestling Center. Yeah, okay. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah. I did forget to mention that. I've totally buried the weed. Um, apparently, this might be the new place where WWE and NXT can get live fans. Um, it sounds like they built this for such a reason. I'm okay with it. Um, you're not going to be able to do full sale forever. Maybe you can go back at some point. But if this is what you need to do to keep the uh, the show going and keep the boat afloat, so be it. But, yes, Capital Wrestling Center. So Amber Moon comes back and basically is saying that she's not going to take any more bullshit. She is here for the title. Mama wants some gold. Rhea Ripley comes out, which ends up bringing out Gonzalez and Dakota Kai attacking Rhea Ripley. So now, once again, William Regal being forced to do his job quickly and expeditiously. <laughs> he makes a match, which is now the main event, Ripley versus Ember Moon, uh, Ripley and Ember Moon versus Dakota Kai and Raina Gonzalez, or Raquel Gonzalez, I'm sorry. I guess here's my question with this. was Is this too soon to get Ember Moon back in the ring? Would you like to have seen this happen next week? I would have waited personally, that's just me, but it's not like the match was bad. I would have waited a week. Yeah, I didn't really – this didn't do anything for me. It didn't do – like, it, it really didn't do anything for me, like positive or negative. Like, it was just – it was just kind of there. Um, you know, it just seemed kind of like filler stuff. You know, like Ember Moon's back, and then we'll have her come out. She cuts this, like, super generic promo. Like, right. Nothing bad, nothing good. Um and then more of the same, you got Rhea Ripley uh, still fighting, you know, the the tall girl. Like, Raquel Gonzalez. 
Raquel Gonzalez, you know, it's like, can we just get it over with already? Um, yeah, um, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. It's it's getting to that point where we need to kind of figure out where we're going with with her and Gonzalez. I'm. It's not that like I, I hate Gonzalez. It's just it the feud is spilling over without any kind of end in sight. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like the Hurt Business and Cedric Alexander and like Ricochet and those guys. Yeah, it's like every week they're just like they're still having matches every single week. Right, and finally, yeah. you know, when that's why I think I was so excited for. Uh, Cedric's heel turn because I was like okay this is something fucking different you know plus it's Cedric Alexander with the heel turn I think this could actually work so yeah I totally agree with you that on all uh, on all accounts I just it's there's there's something that's just not there with with Weir Ripley and the uh, Raquel Gonzalez feud it's just it's off and at this point I just I'd rather you just put up the steel cage let them two get in cook this beef and let's move on because it's really not it's not getting either one of these women over okay Ripley's already over and Gonzalez needs to get over and the way things are going neither one of them are getting over you know what I'm saying so I mean at this point why do it yeah for sure all right next match um Speaking of why do it, uh, Drake Maverick and Killian Dane versus Everrise. Um, the latest edition of the WWE Odd Couple Tag Team has Drake Maverick and Killian Dane together. Uh, horrible entrance music, I'm sure, by design. Drake, God bless him. He is just a true soldier. Here is a crappy gimmick, Drake. Now go out here and sell it. Um, Match was okay. It just it feels like one at the end of the match. I guess ultimately is the takeaway from it is after Killian Dane basically uses Drake Maverick as the tackling dummy to pin uh, one of the members of Everrise. He carries him off into the back. So slowly but surely, it looks like Drake and Killian Dane are going to be the next I Couple tag team. But this goes back to what I've been saying for the last few weeks about the tag team division in general and NXT, it is brutal. This is a horrible idea. We have seen this before. We have done this before. I know you, Drake Maverick just got a contract. You got to give him something to do to make him earn his money. That's great. Have, just stick, have him stick in the cruiserweight division. We don't, we don't need to see another mismatched tag team. Okay. That's what main roster does. I expect a little bit more from NXT. That's just to me lazy as it gets because that's what main roster does. And when I say main roster, I'll use quotations. Essentially that's raw and SmackDown. That's why I kind of lost a little luster for NXT because they're kind of falling into the same main roster traps that uh, raw and SmackDown has already kind of put out there. And NXT should be bigger than that. This is supposed to be a different brand. Instead, it feels like it's just the third extension of what Raw and SmackDown is. Yeah, you either got tag teams that um, are on the verge of breaking up or have broken up uh, just to get back together the next week, or you have tag teams of just two people mashed together that don't like each other but are forced to, like, wrestle. You have very few 
just actual legitimate tag team, like you can consider tag team specialists to elevate that style of wrestling. And it just goes to show, like, I mean, Vince doesn't care about tag team wrestling. And I feel like that's trickling down to NXT. There wasn't a tag match on the NXT show. Nope. And they're usually one of the better shows. They're usually one of the better matches on the, on the card. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, God, that's a damn shame. Austin Theory gets a win over Leon Ruff. Um, I'm sure everybody's like, who the hell is Leon Ruff? Uh, both guys actually were in Evolve at the same time when Austin Theory was the Evolve champion. So I knew this match would be good in the sense of the chemistry between the two. Obviously, like I said, Austin Theory wins, which he should. But in the midst of the victory lap, he's talking a little shit. And one Dexter Loomis comes out to make his return back to NXT. One, I wouldn't call it a squash. It will end up going into a commercial break. But Dexter Loomis returns and puts Austin Theory to sleep. Two questions. What's next for Dexter Loomis? And is Austin Theory being punished? Um, I think... He's, I wouldn't say, like, punish. I think maybe a little bit more, like, put in his place. Like, he was elevated way too quickly. Like, he's on WrestleMania, and he will remind you of that fact at every opportunity. But he is such a great douchebag. He's not a great douchebag like Sammy Guevara, where, like, you know Sammy Guevara is, like, a really good guy, but, like, he plays this this douchebag really, really well. Um and you just want to see him get punched in the face because he's so good at, like, acting like a douchebag. Like, Austin Theory legitimately comes off like a douchebag. And I, like, don't wish him well, right? <laughs> like, at all. Um, so, like, I think maybe it's just uh, he's going to have to earn his earn his dues, you know, which you are want to do in, in WWE. Um, so, you know, he's a young guy. He's going to have to work his way up. And he totally, like, should be losing, um, you know, in that in that role. But to Dexter Loomis, I don't know because I mean, that's something else. Like, I don't even know what to say. We like, haven't even I, made the connection between him and why he helped Velveteen Dream. No, and I had legit like Dexter Loomis had an ankle injury, and I legit forgot he even existed, and my life was better for it. And I'm sure he's a nice guy, but my God, he, he has a death gimmick, and I don't want to see it on my TV or on my tablet screen okay. ever. I just don't. Well, damn, tell us how you really feel. Rich Holland versus uh, Danny Birch. Uh, I knew this was going to be a physical match because Danny Birch just brings it, and I think that was the reason why uh, we put these two together because it was going to be a physical match. Rich Holland obviously goes over but the bigger story is in a freak accident it looks like rich holland i'm assuming broke his leg it was a air cast on his leg as only Lorkin jumps over the top with a i guess a over the top rope suicide dive for lack of a better term Rich Holland's leg kind of buckles in a way that it shouldn't. And as they come back from commercial break, you see the replay of it. And then Rich Holland laying on a stretcher with the air cast on his leg. So I would safely assume that Rich Holland, like we kind of said before, is going to be out and out for 
several weeks. So where does Adam Cole go from here? Hopefully in the main roster, he gets some more money. <laughs> you ain't shit. And then in the main event, we do have the women's tag team match. Uh, Ember Moon and Rhea Ripley versus Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. The baby faces come away the winners with Ember Moon getting the pin on Dakota Kai. The reason why I was here was to see how well Ember Moon Ember Moon looked and how well she moved. Looked okay, moved okay. The Eclipse looked as good as ever. It looks like we're going to have probably two different programs. The one obvious one, uh, Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez. The one maybe not so obvious, but seemingly that might come out of this could be Dakota Kai versus Amber Moon. Thoughts on the main event NXT match? I was just kind of there, man. Um, and I mean, the AW main event as a match, uh, it was like probably the weakest group of main events in many, many weeks. Um, I don't know who was flipping back and forth to like one or the other, but at least one of them had Chris Jericho in it. Uh, but I mean, they, they were not exciting. I did not watch them live nor concurrently, uh, but I wasn't like super into either match. No, I, I'm that, this is why I wished they would have took a week to kind of build this match. Not saying it would have made it, any better, but I would at least, you know, let this thing breathe, and then, you know, yeah, how hard is it to say instead of like you guys are gonna have a match tonight? Like, how hard is it to say next week? Yeah, and then you don't look like you don't look like you're incompetent and don't have another main event because who did they bump off, right? You yeah, know, like, it what was, just what was the main event supposed to be? And it, I don't even think they knew to be perfectly honest because I guess here's where my biggest takeaway just from NXT as a whole is coming in and then we can move to uh, A-Dub. NXT feels like it's overall in a flux where we're trying to bring in new talent and get new talent over, see, um, I guess for lack of a better term, Rhea Ripley, but more so of the Austin theories of the um, Kushida's now, not saying that Kushida isn't over, but in WWE world, he isn't. Kyle O'Reilly, guys like that that are on this roster that can do a good job. You know, there's got to be some sort of flip of this roster. You already got guys that are, you know, clearly over. Cole, Ciampa, Gargano, you know, Velveteen Dream, whether you like it or not, he's over. You need opponents for them or a second tier of wrestlers that you can work with because there's only so room, so much room at the top, so you need more of a complete roster. That's where I think we're at right now with NXT as a whole. We're trying to figure out who's a star now after these four or five guys. Obviously, with the women's side, um, EO, Rhea Ripley easily over. And then the rest, I think the women's side now is where you're starting to get with Tony Storm coming back, with Ember Moon coming back. You already have Dakota Kai. You got Candice LeRae. So, I mean, now the women's division looks a lot stronger than it was the week that they did the uh, the Battle Royal or whatever, whatever it was uh, two weeks ago. That, uh, shit, I needed a fucking scorecard to, to remember all these women that were out there. And a good chunk of them, I didn't even know who they were. But that's just my point. 
NXT feels like it's in a flux and they're trying to make new stars. So I think we're going to have to kind of go with them through the growing pains. The creative part, you know, the DQs and the silly shit that the main roster does, that's just, that's a different story. That I'll have to, I have no problem taking a nice little dump on. The characters, the character development, we're just going to have to kind of wait and see how it plays out because, like I said, I think a lot of this is just is new to all of us and it's going to be new people in new places doing new things. So, I mean, it's, this part I'll be patient on. The stupid creative shit, I ain't being patient on. When I say stupid creative shit, I mean the booking part of it. That's actually a good segue because the opening match with, like, Brian Cage and Will Hobbs of mm-hmm. AEW, like, Will Hobbs, that was the first, like, singles match that I'd seen him in because I don't watch Dark. Um, I mean, I would. I just don't usually have the time lately. And, like, they got him over in a loss, right? Like, it was a guy that I'd never seen in action before, and he was against Brian Cage, who, you know, they're protecting because, like, Brian Cage is, like, like he's got all the trappings of a, of a star. Like, I'm surprised, like, Vince hasn't snatched him up, you know, and gave him three weeks a long time ago. But I think if the, one or the other didn't want to go. Either Cage didn't want to go or Vince didn't have didn't have any, didn't want him, which kind of just seems absolutely bonkers to me because Brian Cage is like the walking talking WWE poster boy, but go ahead. Yeah, I feel like Cage probably didn't want to go. But yeah, like uh, it was a tough thing and it's something that WWE tries to do all the time, which is because um, I can't I have to assume that they're they are trying to get guys over. I have to assume that they are trying to do that still, even though it seems like they're completely inept in doing it. But I would think that, you know, they are at least trying. They're just not going about it the right way. And, you know, this is like kind of the way that they would do it, but um, just not as effectively. Like Will Hobbs and Brian Cage had a really cool match, two really big guys, total hoss fight. And Brian Cage ended up getting the pin but then it helped that Taz came out and said, like, you did such a good job. We want you, you know, he wanted him in, you know, the faction. Right. And if, and if, if he didn't join the faction, they're going to beat the shit out of him. Right. There's <laughs> a total, like, heel move. But, um, I mean, this whole thing was all about elevating Will Hobbs while at the same time taking nothing away from Brian King. Agreed. That's what you want to do every time, right? You, you want to elevate one guy while not taking anything away from, like, another guy. And this is like the perfect example of like how to do that. It was like textbook. They nailed it. And, and it was, it finally got a check mark. And I'm not sure how far along they're going to go with this uh, FTW title. But I mean, as far as I was concerned, if we're not going to do a second show, and when I say a second show, I'm not saying that Dark is not a second show. It is a second show. It's AEW. I get it. But to me, Dark is like where NXT was when it first started is it's a develop developmental show. It's not the quote unquote second show. Like raw is the first show, the main, the flagship show to SmackDown. AEW dynamite needs to be a flagship show to another show, whether it's, let's just say it's late night dynamite. Okay. And there needs to be a second show. If not for the pandemic, TNT asked for it. Like, so, like, they, they have a deal, like, in place. Like, if not for the pandemic, that would already be a thing because TNT actually requested 
a third hour. So not a third hour of Dynamite, but, but a third hour a, of something. A one hour show on another night. Probably that's why they they did the AEW Late Night Dynamite. Put your toe in it. See what the rating's going to be. Half a million. Oh, we can do this shit. Yeah, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, which like, it totally, I mean, for for that time slot, half a million. That's a, yeah, that's, I didn't think it would do a half a million in that time slot, but I, that just goes to show that if if anything, whether you like AEW fans or not, they're going to travel where you tell them to travel. If it's Tuesday at eleven o'clock, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not saying that this is going to be the place, but Tuesday at eleven o'clock Eastern time, ten here. You know, watch for a late night dynamite. Yeah, I can see if they wanted to go that route. I can see that yeah, happening. They have they have goodwill, right? Right. AEW fans are loyal because AEW has built goodwill with the fans. They haven't fucked them in the ass for 30 years. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, oh, like, you don't like this? Like, we'll work on it. We'll, like, try to change it. They're not like, no, we're right and you're wrong and you're just going to give you this and you're going to like it. You know? Like, you know, it's like what I do with my kids with dinner. No choice. I don't like this, and I'm like, yeah, too bad. That's what we're having. Okay. WWE does with all of their wrestling. Like fans are like, I don't like this, and I'm like, well, too bad. This is what we're doing. Like, all right, well, I'm gonna move out. So, so, so you're saying I'm a big ass kid at this point because I keep coming back for whatever WWE. Well, they're serving they're serving chicken nuggets and macaroni, man. All right, man. Fine, fuck it. I'll come back. Okay, see you, got me. For dessert. Stupid. Every night. Right. <laughs> you shit. What's the next match? Uh oh, what was the next match? Um I don't have I don't have the recap up in front of me. Um what was the next match? We had oh FTR and uh TH two, right? That was the next match, wasn't it? Yes, sir. We also we also had interspersed among here a lot of Chris Jericho thirtieth anniversary. Uh, like cameos so like a lot of celebrities uh, like half of Kiss um, you know Shaquille O'Neal Hiroshi Tanahashi um, you know just a, a laundry list of like who's who okay of, so so uh, yeah let's just industry and let's know. just stop right yeah. there because you know we got to talk about that for 30 seconds because I, I already was at half staff when we were talking about it in the two count so obviously we saw Tanahashi, we saw the New Japan logo in the background. Obviously, we have had some New Japan AEW crossover in the past. Do you think this is going to lead to a, I'll just say, a card of AEW, New Japan, let's just call it a super card of some sort? We're doing it again, just minus ROH. I tell you what, it is it is heartening because um, something else we didn't talk about last week, but that happened like news broke like you know right around the time we did the podcast is Harold May stepping mm-hmm. down from New Japan, and he's the guy who he, he's the Dutchman uh, who was from Coca Cola and the big toy company who'd been heading New Japan and had been doing a really great job. Apparently, not very well liked. Uh, not very well liked by a lot of talent. Um, did a great job on the uh, company, the finances aspect and the organizational stuff. But um, definitely, I mean, he lost Kenny Omega, right? I mean, just think about that. Like, Kenny Omega left New Japan 
moved out of the country on his watch, right? That's a huge black guy. Um, because if you know that Kenny Omega would like to be just like John Moxley and just like Chris Jericho and still work in Japan, right? Like you, you right. know that yeah. yeah. without the pandemic, cause you can just tell, um, you know, especially like his relationship with Kota Bushi and, you know, even if he wasn't a singles guy, like it, they could have explored golden lover stuff until, you know, I don't know. I was going to say you asked Kenny Omega from uh, last night. He ain't tag team wrestled. <laughs> oh yeah. Which is great. Oh man. We'll get to that. That was so good. Um, but you know, I don't think that they realized that this AEW thing was actually a big deal. Like, I don't think they could have realized, ah, thank you so much. I don't think they could have realized that it was such a big deal because why would you, why would, why would you let all of that talent go? And it's not just Kenny Omega, although that's the big one. It's the Young Bucks, right. their hottest tag team act. It is uh, Cody Rhodes who was coming into his own at that time. He was not the absolute pure superstar that he is right now. Um, but he was definitely elevating what he was, you know. No, hey, when we rubbed shoulders with Cody, I mean, that's when his star was just really starting to be on the rise in the independent scene or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, you know, he was always champion at that at that point and then met, moved on to uh, the NWA championship uh, at All In or whatever the case may yeah. be. So, I mean – USC yeah, there's there was a there's more of a sort of a reason why I can see consternation from the uh, the New Japan crowd of letting these guys go. Yeah, for real. So you know, I you know he's just an outsider, and it works because it works on on the financial aspect and like the business organization aspect. But like wrestling is kind of a unique thing, and talent is a unique situation. So. I can see some talent being glad that he's gone. And it is just very telling that the week that he is on his way out, all of a sudden, it's not like AEW doesn't pretend that Japan exists or that New Japan doesn't right. exist. But, I mean, there was like 10 mentions of it. Right. You know? And, you know, WWE's not going to let anybody on their show. Uh, you know, Lance Storm was on there, but he's been laid off from WWE. Right. Even, like... Even if, like, Chris Jericho's wife worked for WWE or whatever, mm -hmm. like, they are not allowing them to have any, you know, they just wouldn't. Uh, but AEW's not like that. And just so for them to say in New Japan Pro Wrestling, like, ten times this week, it just is, like, very telling. And I think uh, it, it's a good thing, even though the pandemic is going to keep that from actually happening, um, regardless of, like, the relationship. It gives me good feelings that there could be a relationship. Okay. See, that's the shit I'm talking about. Uh, go ahead with talk about uh, FTW versus uh, TH2. Uh, or FTR, like I'm sorry. Well, yeah, this match uh, seemed like it was well laid out. Uh, it was just, I don't know, the some of the Jack Evans stuff was rough. Like, the, you know, a lot of flying around. And I don't know if it's because it's not FTRs, like, kind of bag or if he was just like moving a little too fast the angelico stuff was not as rough but um i didn't uh i didn't love it it was good uh but it wasn't like it got a little sloppy thing. towards the end 
yeah, sloppy is what I, I think I would say. And FTR is usually so tight. It just, I kind of put that on TH2, unfortunately, even though they're a very good, very talented Without team. question. Without question. I it's, was just going to say, I, I do like the tag team. I like Angelico a lot. I would almost kind of like to see him branch off singles, but I don't think that ultimately would do any good because, I mean, AEW is just loaded. I mean, if the FTW title is going to be a thing, then that could help out, at least on the single side. So now you have a, a third title running around, at least on the single side. But, yeah, um, I wouldn't want to break them up. But if they did, for whatever reason, I wouldn't be too disappointed because, like I said, I think Angelico is a diamond in the rough that if you haven't seen any of his singles matches, that's something you need to uh, go out and check out for yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then we got um... – was this? I think this was the uh, the Kenny Omega. Well, the Bucks uh, kicked the uh, the cameraman or oh, whatever, which was kind of funny. Yeah. I, and then we can jump into Kenny Omega too, because to me they all kind of lead towards the same thing. I'm waiting patiently yeah, for the Bucks and Kenny Omega to do the heel turn. My guess is going to be at full gear because now obviously um, Hangman Page is in the uh, the number one contenders tournament with Kenny Omega. And it just it made me giggle the number of times that Kenny just had to mention that Hangman Page was a tag team wrestler. You know what I'm saying? Dude, this was this was such a good interview because it seemed genuine mm-hmm. and like so like, but like at the same time, like you got the young bucks with the with the automatic sight gags. These, to put it as Jason would say. These jokers are watching <laughs> watching the TV with their backs to it, which is like an absolute dig at WWE because they watch the TVs all weird on WWE television. Like right. They make them stand there and watch the TV like all weird. So like they're faced with their back completely to the TVs and their heads on a swivel, like trying to watch the match. And I was just losing it. Okay, losing see, that, that that's the little shit that I would think people recognize and th- – and I thought it was absolutely comedy fucking central because, like you said, it's so anti WWE because the WWE guys feel like they're like right on top of this fucking forty three inch TV screen. I'm just like, dude, take a step back, man. Shit, I mean, how can you even watch this shit? Yeah, the Bucks were totally like different. That? Yeah, the Bucks yeah. were totally different where they were just more so nonchalant, and that's the Bucks that I think I like more. I like them as a team. Period. I think they're amazingly talented. I don't give a fuck how many flips they do. I think they're amazingly talented. I like their heel characters more than I do their babyface characters. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they are really good heels. And this tweener thing they're rolling right now is really good. So, yeah, they super kick the cameraman, and then they apologize to him. Like, oh, sorry, buddy. And then, like, oh, I guess we're going to have to pay a fine. And Madass Nick's like, oh, can we? Can you spot me this one? I forgot my wallet. Like, oh, I forgot mine, too. Ted G's. I'm like, get the fuck yeah. out of here. Who's got Ted G's in their wallet? I know, and they're just, like, big time and, you know, EVP, you know, like, big time and, like, merch freak. You know, they're just they're just having fun. God bless But, um, yeah, then we have Kenny Omega, who, like you said, is just, like, mentioning Adam Page at, like, and not just saying Adam Page, but saying, like, tag team wrestlers like right. Adam Page. Oh, my God, I'm just dying. And, like, obviously this tournament, and, I mean, I say obviously, but, I mean, sometimes you just no, give this what is, they want. This is gotta be omega page in the finals now how you book it, it from that point i don't know and i don't really care but if it's anything it, but i'm gonna have a problem if you, with it 
if you remember, like, the whole reason this pay-per-view is called Full Gear is because of Adam Page, and they, like, the Elite were, like, bullying him last year. Like, if you watch Being the Elite, they were bullying him and saying, like, he wasn't Full Gear ready. Like, they were calling him, like, Fat Boy and stuff and saying, like, he had, like, gained too much weight, even though he was, like, in great shape. Uh, so, like, they were just, like, they put cameras in his house and, like, were, like, keeping track of, like, everything that he was eating. And, I mean, Being the Elite's, like, super fun. But this this pay per view is essentially named after Adam Page. Like, what what a way to come full circle here. Uh, but it, you know, like, what do we say all the time? Like, even like with WWE, we're like, oh, you know, you got this title situation. Like, what do you do? Like, what's fun? You you do a tournament. Like, mm-hmm. how hard is this? And Kenny Omega's like, he's like, oh yeah. And he even like almost says like, oh, you just do a tournament. He's like, what tournament haven't I ever won? Like, <laughs> you know, what? it's the first time. He's like, maybe it's the first time I've ever entered it. I'll just come in here and win it. Doesn't matter where in the world it is. And he's talking about the G1, you know, first right. time he's in the G1, he goes all the way and wins it. And it was, yeah, just totally solid. Um, and really great setup for the uh, best match of the night, uh, best match of Wednesday, uh, maybe the best match of the week. I haven't seen that Shingo uh Abushi match. Maybe yeah, you I'll, might want to hold off on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Don't get me wrong. This was good, but you might want to hold off on that. Yeah, the yeah. dog collar match was great. No, it was good. It was it was good. I I didn't think they would go as far as they did, even though they've they've proven that a gold color doesn't go isn't going to stop them. But there was a couple of times, especially the uh, the the package pile driver through the the table, and then Brody Lee comes up busted. I was like, okay, see. This is where we started to show our ass a little bit. But I, I thought this was really well done. I never saw the 83 uh, Greg Valentine, Roddy Piper match they kept referencing to. Um, this was good. I was going to say, I, was, I wasn't I was sure how this was going to work out. I wasn't sure if Cody was going to go over, which I don't necessarily have a problem with. Just get that off the table because it sets up Cody versus Orange Cassidy, which sounds like a whole bunch of fun for next week next week's show is going to be off the fucking chain you got that that title match moxley versus archer which we forgot to talk about i think that's going to be fucking amazing and you have best friends versus ftr for the uh the tag title so their anniversary show is set up to be absolutely amazing but just going back to the dog cower match i thought was really really good violent but not too violent and it got the at least it's advanced in the storyline. I don't think that Dark Order and the Nightmare family are done just yet because obviously you got Anna Jay and Brandy and still with QT Marshall floating out there and, and Dustin Rose. I think there's something to be done there. But no, I thought all in all, this was a really good dog power match. It was, and it was probably the best, like you said, it was the best match of the show and it probably wasn't even close. Oh, it was so good. Um, like you said, violent. Um, Great story and great babyface promo afterwards from mm-hmm. Cody. And I mean, I saw some stuff online because, like, I look at Reddit a little bit, and there's all these people, and they're like, oh, "I wasn't mad that Cody won it the first time, but now he's just, uh, you know, being his dad and he's booking himself as the champion." And I'm like, "This is like the the story that makes the best sense, right? Right. It's it's the best story that you could tell." Now, I also would not be mad if he dropped it next week to Orange Cassidy. No. I think it's a little weird that Orange Cassidy's already getting a shot. He just had a shot against Mr. Brody. This is true. Like, and, you know, why is he, you know, he's just happened to be the guy to walk out, and he's one of the hottest acts in AEW. Like, I think it'd be totally fine uh, for Cody to lose that title. And then he could 
kind of recuse himself from that title picture because the whole thing about Brody was not that he just beat him for the title, right? He beat him for the title and then he put him in the hospital. Right. Like it was like the, the it was in such a squash thing. fashion that it was just it was so shocking, at least to me. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? He is still kicking his ass after the match. This is ridiculous. Yeah, so Cody got his heat back and now that he has his heat back, like I think it's fine if he loses the title. Like I wouldn't do that with the AEW World Heavyweight title no. or even the tag titles. But I think a TV title, that's the whole thing. You get a TV match every week right. and the title could go. Like so I like I said before, you don't need these long reigns on the TV title. Like it's to elevate new guys and you know, like it's time to elevate a new guy. I know I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it. I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. I just it just goes back to maybe my old school WWE way of thinking, you know, the champ doesn't lose the title in the first title defense. But if it did Unless happen, yeah, true story. If, <laughs> if it did happen, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I think Orange Cassidy's in a spot where an elevation is probably on, on point. It's, it's been a year and he's, He's totally different than he was this time last year. You know, he's had the the Jericho feud, and that's taken him to a whole nother level. So a match with Cody this time around doesn't seem that far off the reservation. It doesn't even feel that far off the reservation that he could win this match. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know what we had next. Uh, next was the women's match, uh, Serena D versus um, Big Swole. I'll go first on this. I thought this was a really good match just in the sense that if Big Swole is going to be the number two contender, which apparently she is, uh, you're going to have to give reasons why she is the number two ranked contender behind, I'm assuming, still Nala Rose. And this was a a match where you saw that Swole was not just rolling over the competition. And that's credit to Serena Deeb. I think that she was an amazing talent where WWE, for whatever reason, decided to let her go, especially when you have a bunch of this young talent coming in NXT. I think that was probably not a very smart move, but neither here nor there. Ultimately, like I said, I think Serena Deeb helped get Big Swole over to now where I look at her and see her as legit competition to, towards Sheeta, and I'm kind of looking forward to that match if it ever happens. Yeah, that's good. I got nothing to add there. Yeah. Look at you with that hard-hitting fucking analysis, and then uh, the final match is the main event, and I'm kind of with you on this. I guess I don't know that much about the Luther Jericho relationship any more than what has been said on TV. So I don't, didn't have that emotional connection to it. It just felt like this was something that Chris wanted to do. And if that's the case, so be it. But nonetheless, the inner circle wins the, uh, the main event with a, uh, juice effect on Luther to, uh, put him to sleep and get the pin, to me, the biggest takeaway from the main event was the credits where everything was Chris Jericho. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, that was so good. Apparently, I saw on Twitter, Chris Jericho, like, texted the production guy, like, 
the night before with that idea and said like, "Hey, can you make an SNL style like oh, like shit. thing with like you know everything Chris Jericho and like you know with some jazz music and they threw it together." Dude, I just uh, I haven't seen SNL in God knows how long, and as soon as I saw that, I'm like, "This is some Saturday Night Live shit." For real, uh, I do like that. Uh, in typical huge heel fashion, MJF comes out on goddamn thirtieth mm. anniversary show and makes the entire thing about him. Like, no, look, I'll just say this, and I, I, I would, I kind of agree with you on this, but this is this is the story, okay? Oh no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it negatively. It is the story. I think. I think it's perfect because okay, you know, okay, and, yeah. And Jericho wouldn't like if Jericho wanted anything else, he wouldn't have allowed it. Right? No, this, no, this I, I don't wouldn't. think that it's obviously everybody's you know along for the ride. And like I said, ultimately, I think next week is the week that somehow MJF enters the inner circle, and then the uh, the real fun begins. But no, I, I totally agree with that. Jericho was in on it. I just thought you were saying that this was something that you know. It was bad towards MJF, and I was just going to say, you know, for me, this is just part of the storyline. You know, the vignette that they did with MJF in it, I, I said it was like, you know, if I didn't know any better, I think that was, you know, almost heartfelt and and sincere from MJF talking about, you know, how Jericho, you know, basically said he was doing a good job and all that other shit. Then top that at the end with the uh, the promo at the end where, you know, he basically teased with next week's uh, announcement, you know, hey, Sammy, I ain't forgot about your jacket. It's little shit like that that makes me laugh at Chris Jericho because he does shit like that. MJF does shit like that. So I think together their chemistry is going to be so good if it does happen and it goes the way I foresee it happening and it eventually ends up with Jericho getting booted out of the inner circle. That's going to be a nice-ass story to see unfold because there's so many ways that can go. Oh yeah, because Jericho is gonna be the biggest baby face. Mm. Like, I feel like they're gonna like just slow roll it until fans come back, right? And then, and then Jericho will be the big baby face. Agreed. And I was about to say, it's it's not like they don't already sing his song as the one of the biggest, if not the biggest heel in the company. I mean, God forbid if he comes back with a in a baby face role with fans out there. You he might was well practically be. a baby face last night. Yeah, essentially, it, it felt like it was a a baby face kind of a role for once in his AEW career. But no, I agree with you totally. Just, it was okay. It just, it didn't feel like this was anything more than a, a victory lap for Jericho and God bless him for it for 30 years. Shit. Do a victory lap as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Anything else? No. All right. Let's, that drops it up for our three counts. One. All right, we're going to do a little quick odds and ends and get up out your hair. Uh, we'll just talk about Raw for a little bit. Uh, Mustafa Ali being the biggest takeaway from Raw on Monday night, being revealed as the retribution leader. Thoughts on Mustafa Ali flipping the script on the WWE Universe? Uh, I think it's great. It's not the way that I would push Ali, but at least Ali is getting pushed. He's a He's an actual power player in the narrative of the show right now he can't be given three weeks and then disappear like they've done to him so many times and done to so many other people um i would have done it opposite because he's like 
the total baby face. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he's an absolute baby face, but you know, I'm not going to like look a gift horse in the mouth here. Like, thank you for putting Ali on TV and giving him a prominent place because that dude, you know, I kind of like the, you deserve a chant, but like that dude deserves a lot more than he's gotten in this company. I don't, I, if you just want to do kayfabe style, I would have no problem with this just in the simple fact that Mustafa Ali would have a beef. Okay, the injury is the injury, and Kofi takes advantage of it. It just sucks, but that's just wrestling. Brock Lesnar winning the money in the bank where Mustafa Ali had his fingertips on it. Yeah, okay. If that's the reason that they give next Monday night because why Mustafa Y is going to be the question, and if they even bring that up, that's all I really need because now that makes sense. Okay. You know what's sad? I guarantee you it won't be either one of those things. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be the same thing we've heard from every other heel. It's going to be because of you fans. I came out here night after night. I was on main event night after night, and you fans didn't support me. I guarantee you that's what he says. God, I hope not. Jesus Christ, just make some fucking I hope not, too. But, yeah. <sighs> I mean, like. Don't say that. Can, they're they're going to do it make, right. They're going to do it right for once. You can make a calendar by it. Like it's a goddamn sundial. <laughs> shit. Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre. One more again in Hell in a Cell. Does Randy Orton deserve this chance after losing at the most recent pay-per-view? Uh, Randy Orton is one of the best things the pandemic. So um, I got to say that's fine. I mean, yeah, is it getting a little stale? Sure. Um, what I have done, the ambulance match the way that they did before the Hell in a Cell, no. Um, not exactly. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. And I wouldn't be mad if he took the belt and then Drew, Drew got it back when there's fans, right? And then, then you give Drew his big uh, WrestleMania. Like, let Randy carry to WrestleMania. The governor of Florida opened up florida and uh you can you can do whatever the fuck you want in florida right now um jesus it doesn't matter like you can have as many people as you want no restrictions whatsoever so you know they might get fifty thousand people in a in a wrestlemania um setting and uh then let drew drew have his uh have his moment i don't know but uh but i'm not mad about it no i'll I'll just say randy orton's been super entertaining no i agree with you on that randy orton is on my short list of uh at least WWE male wrestler of the year. He's basically been one of the shining moments of the pandemic era for sure. That said, I thought that Randy probably should have won it at uh, the last pay-per-view and then night of champions and then have them do the rematch here at hell in the cell. It just kind of makes logical sense. I'm not saying that Orton, Orton, if he doesn't win it this time, then, yeah, he's going to have to disappear for a little bit, um, at least for the title scene. If he does win it, Drew can always win it back. Like you said, they'll go to Florida and give him the uh, the WrestleMania response that he probably should have gotten this year. But ultimately, I don't have a problem with it. I just wish they had booked it differently versus back-to-back losses versus Orton. And now here's a third chance. So 
I don't know, neither here nor there. Uh, the second week in a row with no Raw Underground. Is Raw Underground dead? I think it's way more likely. Just hear me out. I am not a conspiracy theorist, uh, but uh, I think it's way more likely that Shane McMahon had to go out for two weeks for some unforeseen reason, right? I think it's more likely that Shane... Uh, Is he hanging out with Trump or something? Yeah. Mm-mm. Like something, Mm-mm. like going going to a bar, something, and uh, contracted the Rona, and has got to be out for two weeks. And instead of doing underground without him, they're just like, ah, it's just two weeks, and then he'll be back. So that's my conspiracy theory. Hot take, baby. Shit, go ahead with your bad self. Braun Strowman versus Keith Lee in an exhibition match. Is there such thing as an exhibition match deserving to be on Monday Night Raw? I think it's funny that uh, Braun Strowman acted like he didn't know what an exhibition was. <laughs> like, wait, way to be, man. Um, I'll say, come on, man, <laughs> give me a break. So I'll say, there is no way. If this is an exhibition match, what the fuck is the referee doing? We gonna have a count on the exhibition match? Just let these motherfuckers fight, as far as I'm concerned. You, you got a ring. Here yeah. it is. Knock yourself out. I just. I think it's just a weird gimmick. Yeah. they. I don't know if they know what they're doing with either guy, and I think that's kind of the reason why they did this. I have no idea. You have any idea? No. All right, let's put them in together in a match. Well, what are we going to do? Let's make an exhibition match. That way nobody loses. Okay, here's a count out. I don't know. It just it feels weird. KO, speaking of weird, uh, KO and The Fiend apparently are going to – encounter in some I guess a match in some sort on Smackdown Alexa sets up KO to get attacked by the Fiend and then the spillover on Monday nights is where Bray Wyatt and KO interact but nothing occurs something will occur on Friday night thoughts on the Alexa Bliss KO Fiend love triangle not love triangle but the triangle itself I think maybe it's just a way to make the fiend a babyface because when he was a heel, he essentially killed every babyface that he. I mean, he killed Seth Rollins. Like Seth Rollins was awesome. Mm. Like remember when Seth Rollins was good? Right. The fiend killed him because he made him cry, and no matter what Seth Rollins did, however many curb stomps, however many like whatever, he's like it didn't matter. He couldn't beat the fiend. He just cried about it. And it killed Seth Rollins, and now Seth Rollins is a weird messiah character, and it sucks. Like, you know, and he did that to anybody that he faced that was uh, a baby face, except for, like, John Cena, who just disappeared afterwards, and he's John Cena. It doesn't matter. Right. But I think the way to flip that script is a, a, a baby face that doesn't sell, like, the Road Warriors, right? Like, that's the whole reason the Road Warriors, you know, R.A.P., were such a hot act is because everybody loved them and they came in and they didn't sell shit for anybody and they just beat the fuck out of people. And, you know, if, if he does that and it's like to the cheers of fans instead of to the booze of fans, then maybe it'll get, get the act over. And people like Bray anyway because he's charismatic. Right. He's got good ideas. So I think that I, I'm hoping at least that this is just like a face turn for the fiend and then we get more creative funhouse stuff and it's not like it was because it the, Anytime the Fiend face anybody except Daniel Bryan, it sucked last year. I can't disagree with anything that you said except for the face turn part. I have a hard time wrapping my head around how a face turn can involve 
jumping somebody from behind, being set up by Alexa Bliss to get jumped from behind. I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. I just, I can't, I can't, that, that would make KO the heel in this scenario. How is the heel getting attacked from behind the heel? Three words, Osama Bin Laden. Ain't this a bitch? <laughs> Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso looks like we're going to run that back for Hell in a Cell. Roman Reigns, Jey Uso too. What is the stipulation that makes Roman Reigns say that this is going to be the greatest title match in WWE history? Is this the start of the Samoan bloodline faction? I mean... The only reason to do this is if there's a stipulation that if Jay loses, they got to fall in line, right? I think that's the only reason. And then call him the tribal chief, be yeah, my bitch. And, exactly. And then we actually get the faction that we've all been asking for since we started this podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it makes it makes too much sense. I mean, uh, if you didn't want to do Bullet Club, which was basically dropping your lap, this this makes sense. It's something that's your own invention so yeah this this sounds like wwe in that scenario that it's their own invention now does it always make sense not all the time but in this scenario the way they have gotten this storyline right so far i'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt um obviously this is going to be another roman reigns uh retaining of the title it's just what the stipulate what the stip is and what it means moving forward is the only reason I'm even invested in that particular match per se. Yeah, otherwise, like, why in the hell would this even happen? Like, we talk about, like, is it okay that Randy and Drew have another match? I mean, right. Dude, like, Reigns just balls that dude to the point of it getting uncomfortable. Like, his twin brother had to throw in the towel. Like, I was, I, I know what wrestling is, and I, I was still uncomfortable watching that. Like, it was really well done. Yeah. Like, su- surprisingly well done. Yeah, like, for sure. Like, for sure. The whole I, story of the match was that Jey Uso had no business being in that ring with Roman Reigns. Yeah, like, and it, it, is, it was starting to get ugly. And I was just like, okay, anytime you're ready to throw that damn thing in, shit, dude, your brother's getting worked. God damn. Uh, a couple more things we get out of here. Are we still, and, and when I say we, I mean you, to be Zach Pullman, are you still in favor of Otis holding the money in the bank briefcase? I mean, like, I really like Otis. Like, I think he's a really good professional wrestler, and he's got charisma for days. Um, at the same time, they even though they present him as, like, you know, I decently like he's not like a credible kind of like competitor like to the point of I could see him winning that title um so I mean I think it's more they never should have put it on him in the first place Mm -hmm. I know it kind of helped to elevate him but I mean I like him a lot but it just like it essentially they do this all the time they have this great gimmick and when's the last time the money in the bank gimmick actually worked probably when seth cashed in on brock at wrestlemania right yeah it feels like it's been a while since we've had a a cash in that actually made another superstar wwe wise i mean obviously the last couple have haven't done it and i can't think of any one 
after Seth that made me like, oh, you know, so-and-so just cashed in because you got guys like Orton, obviously Brock Lesnar, guys of that ilk that have been champions and could be champions again without ever having the money in the briefcase. Uh, it, uh, yeah, they made Corbin look like a total nerd. And right. Like that's when people started looking down on Corbin, you know? That's the beginning of the end. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess here's the problem with that, and take it for what it's worth. The success rate for the Money in the Bank briefcase is, is fairly high. It's still like in the, like the 80s, 90%. So, I mean, you know, we can count the guys that have cashed in and failed. So I guess that's part of the reason why if you didn't like Baron Corbin and he, you know, he has this briefcase and he, you know, he fails to cash in, that's just fuel to the fire of, you know, old Baron Corbin sucks. I don't think he sucks. I just don't think that he is a top tier heel like people think he is just because you see him in the main event doesn't necessarily mean he's a top heel. He's just, a, he's the heel that people don't like in this case on SmackDown the most. It does. I I, like, he's not going to like main event like, WrestleMania anytime soon. I feel like I didn't like that the most because, like, I just like empathize too much with it. Like, I feel like I hold the money in the briefcase, money in the bank briefcase every day, and I just fail with it. Like, that's like a microcosm <laughs> of my life. Like, John Cena just rolls me up, and then I just fucking here, man. Take, take the, like, the fucking Charlie, briefcase. Charlie Robinson like counts three, and I'm like, all right, my life is over. I was say, <laughs> you know, like every day. No, you should be like our truth, man. Bounce back on that shit. You know, you can be a 40, <laughs> 43, 44 <laughs> champion before you know it. Uh, last question: Bailey and Sasha, they're going to do a title match next week on SmackDown. I guess tomorrow night on SmackDown. Do we see a title change? I don't know. Um, I know they waited super long to like do the draft is right around the corner. I know. And that's another thing. Well, the draft is is the same night. I'm glad. Thanks. God, I'm so smart. Draft is uh, tomorrow night. Two part question. Does Sasha win the title? And who's your number one pick? If you had the pick. I feel like with Sasha losing her title again, I feel like the whole story for Sasha is that she has to win a title and defend it. So like, I, you know, if they want to change the title now, that's fine. And then maybe they do a hell in a cell and she defends it. it. Yeah. So maybe that's the thing. That's what I would do. Okay. No, I, I would, that would make sense to me. I don't, I don't want this title match to be wasted. Okay. I would almost rather them just do the one match. Just we slow rolled it to this point to hell in a cell. Just do a hell in a cell title match, Bailey versus Sasha, and be done with it. Now, if they go the route where Sasha wins, and then we do a rematch at Hell in a Cell, I'll be okay with that too. Anything else would seem like a little lazy to me, and would just feel like filler to get us to. Hell in a Cell. We can do it and do it smartly. I just think it's just those really, those two ways to do it. Yeah. Who's your number one pick on uh, in the draft if you had it? Oh shit! Like if I was like wanting. You're the you're the command. You're the GM of SmackDown. You won the number one pick. Who do you pick? Brock Lesnar. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's been gone and. I mean, I don't know if he plans on working during the pandemic or whatever, but, like, he's still, like, 
super mega star. And you know what's funny? So I haven't talked about this. Like, I wanted to mention this. Go ahead. I mentioned it last week. Dude, like, so Roman Reigns is such a great heel. Like, I want to see Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar because now it feels fresh again. Right. And, like, it seems like I've never seen that match, even though I've seen it 15 50 million times. times. Yeah. Yeah. Like, now I want to see it again. Yeah, like I, you know what I mean. It's no, I, I, dude, and trust me, we shitted on that feud like nobody's business as Shock City. I get it, but now it feels different. Damn you, WWE! This is how you get me every time. I'm just on the way out the door. You like wait, heel Roman? He's here, <laughs> really? Shut up. Where's he at? Oh, and he's beating down Jay. Oh, and you paired him with Paul Heyman. Oh, and you might do Rock and Roman or Rock versus Brock. Son of a bitch. Now you got me to WrestleMania again. I agree totally. It would be Brock Lesnar just on the simple fact that you can't see, I can't see Roman Reigns leaving SmackDown and just having the aura of Brock Lesnar on SmackDown coming in at any given point. You could tease it, tease it, tease it to WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, whichever. You could do a Royal Rumble match with Brock, do a WrestleMania match with Rock, or vice versa. I mean, the the opportunities are endless if you went with Brock Lesnar. I would agree. Brock Lesnar would be my number one pick. This is banned from ringside. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that shall do it for this week's episode of the Band from Ringside podcast. Let me make sure this is the right one. Nice. Four. Yeah, right. I just pressed the lucky button. For Two Beer Zach Pullman. For your boy JCB. For Bill Veggie. For everybody involved in this little thing we call Band from Ringside Podcast, F and B Eatery, all that good shit. Support your local businesses, support your local drug dealers, and yes, boo the heels, boo, boo. bitches. See you next week. <laughs>